What is Phineology? Here we explore our personal relationships with money, money's nature, and how we exchange value in daily life. Grounding ourselves in the liberal arts, we explore Financial Planning 3.0 from the inside out. Addressing money as the most powerful and pervasive secular force on the planet. Mysterious Money Merits Study. What is Phineology? Here we explore our personal relationships with money, money's nature, and how we exchange value in daily life. Grounding ourselves in the liberal arts, we explore Financial Planning 3.0 from the inside out. Addressing money as the most powerful and pervasive secular force on the planet. Mysterious Money Merits Study. Hi, thank you for joining us for today's What is Finology podcast. Your interviewer today is Jacob Wagner, co-founder and curator of the What is Finology project. And our guest today is Marty Kurtz. In the interview today, Marty makes the point and asks the question, we live in abundance and we want to keep it that way for generations to come. How do we wisely do that? Marty and Jake explore what this question means to the financial planner and how does stepping into a 3.0 position help your clients explore their personal relationships with money? How do you help foster curiosity and help people understand possibilities as money relates to their life? Here are Marty's insights into fiduciary and why he believes in the formula be, do, have. Thank you for being here and enjoy. Hello and welcome to the What is Phineology podcast. This is your host, Jake Wagner. And on this episode of the show, we have Marty Kurtz joining us. Marty, how are you doing today? Doing great, Jake, and really glad to be here. Yeah, I'm really glad to have you. This is an exciting, exciting project and an exciting season, and um, and really looking forward to what it is that we're sharing with folks. And so, my first question for you is just a little bit of like, how did you know Dad, and what are some of the things that you learned from him? <clears throat> That's a great question. Um, you know, your dad and I are very similar in age. He was uh, just a year and a half or so older than I was and or I am so I think when we did meet we we just kind of met as peers I I was not in Denver for the origins of the CFP marks and the ICFP I I was out in the Midwest battling away (laughs) as a uh, life insurance person trying to learn about financial planning and when I met your father, uh, when I became, became real active in uh, FPA, uh, we kind of had this bond because his background had been kind of similar to mine, starting out in the life insurance business and learning that there was probably more to the story than we were getting and then using that as a springboard into doing financial planning. So I would say we met in the... Uh, very late 90s or early 2000s. 
And what was that process like? What were you guys keying into that uh, you knew wasn't quite well? Enough? You know, it was real interesting. We were with insurance companies at an interesting time because, and I, I think Dick probably felt the same way. I know when I joined an insurance company, I thought, hey, this is what I need. I'm joining an organization that's been around for 100, 125 years. They've got this down, they know exactly what they're doing. We could really learn a lot from them and really make a difference in people's lives. Well, what we soon realized was when we had started working with the insurance companies is there's this thing that was going on called disintermediation. And that's they were seeing money leave in groves while in, in droves while they were building products that people could borrow against and put the money into CDs and make 15 or 17 or 19% without having a penalty from the insurance company. So they were in total, total disarray, really being torn up. And so they were really trying to change their mode of operation, which had been for years a system called Live, Die, Quit, which is you went through... Um, this process with people saying they couldn't lose by buying insurance because if you live, this happened. If you died, this happened. If you quit, this happened. And then that kind of started to morph into a different system within the insurance companies, which was called needs-based selling. So needs-based selling was trying to do some interview process with people in order to figure out you know, what they needed to make themselves safer, what they needed for insurance, what they needed for savings. And, you know, it was this recollection that they had been one of the few savings vehicles for uh, decades, you know, from the 30s through the 60s. And and mutual funds were not very prevalent. Uh, Money market accounts didn't exist. CDs were at a very low rate and kind of inflexible and hard to do savings in. Life insurance had been this huge thing. So all of a sudden, now there was a change. There was lots of alternatives and costs were coming down and money money was disappearing from inst- these institutions. And they were struggling to find new ways in order to seed out who they were in the marketplace. And that's where we came into the picture. And that's where financial planning, in its own way, was one of those disintermediaries. Although most of the disintermediaries were other institutions, all of a sudden this process came in and said, no, we're going to make the, we're going to level the playing field and make this fair. And make it so that there isn't a bunch of, it sounds, those are some high interest rates. Those are some high returns, but this is also an era of uh, high mortgage and lending. Oh, yeah. It was, well, it was right? you know, the saver on short-term rates could do very well, but for the borrower, it was disaster. Um, my father and I mm-hmm. had a company, a little food company, and we were borrowing money at seven over prime. And prime at the time was 14. So we were borrowing at 21% to buy trucks. It was it was a brutal time wow. and, and very, very hard to make sense of anything. So, I mean, an inverted yield curve is a very ugly thing. Not, not healthy for yeah. the economy. Yeah, it is. 
So how you, cause, cause now, you know, you're one of the leaders of, you know, definitely practice management and, you know, life planning and, you know, a lot of these other, you know, softer words. How did you get from that, like more of that strict insurance world that's, you know, starting to widen their perspective a little bit to where you are now? Well, I, you know, and I think that's the power of the, the group that your father kind of gathered around him is we all kind of got into the belief that there has to be a better way for the client. It, it's all about the client. And even before fiduciary was an issue, the discussion was all, all about them, not about us. Mm-hmm. And the process had to fall in line with that, that moral belief that we all had. And so fiduciary was shaping itself, uh, a long time before it became a buzzword. What do you mean? Well, I, I think it, it came from, it, it's, a, it's a very basic need that humans have, that when they get advice, they want to know that it's in their best interest. And what's really funny, Jake, is, you know, I've done some traveling around the world, talking to financial planners in all, all different corners of the world. And... Um, fiduciary is there in every every one of those locations it's they want to have systems and they want to build the belief that the advice they're getting is in their the client's best interest which i think is pretty cool i did too what about some of these folks though that you know are being told they might have to have this fiduciary stuff uh you know have to act in a fiduciary capacity but they're still you know but they're fee-based and I have known fee-based planners that are definitely fiduciaries, but I think that it's not an easy situation. No, that's right. And we're certainly not trying to cut anyone out of their, you know, living. But what kind of is, has been surprising for me is we talk a lot about the duties of fiduciary and what the definition is and what that means and how we might act in that. But really, the number one thing about the fiduciary standard is it is the way to have a long-term relationship. You know, we're in 30-year mm-hmm. conversations with our clients, 30 years, 40 years, however long it lasts till they either they die or we die. Mm-hmm. And Hopefully retire. Rule, <laughs> or retire, yeah. But hopefully we have some boundaries that make that relationship work. Just like, uh, relation, you know, there might be, um, boundaries in a marital relationship or a, a spiritual relationship. The same thing is true in this financial relationship we have with people. And I think this is a big part of where your dad and, and the, the group of planners that kind of started to walk this way is, the only way we're going to be able to sustain a relationship, a two-sided relationship for 20, 30, 40 years, whatever we're given in time frame, mm-hmm. we need that belief, that trust, that this is a, a, an honest and fair relationship. And fiduciary is as much about fair as it is about diligence. Hmm. Interesting. Trust, trust becomes this integral factor 
that, you know, we have lots of discussions on. But one of the things that I think is misunderstood about trust is people start to get to the point where they believe they can earn trust. And they think fiduciary is a way to earn trust. Well, my belief is that fiduciary is a way of protecting the gift people give us of trust. It is us being trustworthy back to their gift that they give us, that's honoring this gift they give us, that says, we are trustworthy. We are going to work for you. And that's, um, that's a quantum leap from where we've been in the past. It is. I mean, there's always been, there's always been trusting relationships. But now we're saying it's not just trusting in a transaction or in a five-year period, or but it's with this, actually at the planning center, we've even discussed, you know, wouldn't it be cool if 50 years from now or 75 years from now, it's the um, different advisors, different clients, same money. How, how do we build systems mm-hmm. that sustain itself over half a century or a century? And also continuously earn that client loyalty through the generations, too. Right. Yeah. That's exactly right. And, well, it's because you're doing a good job for them and you're protecting their better interests. That's for sure. And they, you know, they give you this gift and we honor that in our work. And we, but it's all predicated on the fact that we have this, this belief system that says, no, we will be there for you. Yeah. One of the things I heard at the investment news icons and innovators luncheon, there's talks beforehand. And and I think it was Bill Harris, uh, personal capital was talking about also extending the fiduciary understanding to, you know, not just to clients, but also to employees into the business itself. And I thought that was really interesting and uh, opened my eyes a little bit further. Yeah, I I think that's a great way to look at it. And, you know, any partnerships we have, you know, Jake, the people you're working with and they're working with you, you want to know that it's a level relationship. Absolutely. And it's all about the relationship as well, uh, at least with the folks that I like to work with. Exactly. Yeah, it needs to be that warm exchange and that I feel so fortunate to have a base of clients that that we can be so close and uh and really like it um it creates a situation where we can you know make the agreement what we want and like make sure to get the job done um rather than going back and and saying well here's item you know chapter one item two a sub whatever in this contract. Um, it's more of a, you know, let's, let's make sure to create success for each other. And I'm here to, you know, be that advocate. It's so important because it, we see this advent of, uh, you know, coming from uncertainty, this overwhelming sense of vulnerability is becoming more and more prevalent in our society. You know, we really, I think for, uh, started the industrial revolution and kind of moving forward, we're building this wall between us and uncertainty. We were trying to narrow it down as much as we could 
to decrease our vulnerability, to say we're safe. We're, we're safer in a group, in a city, with law, with fire, with all these things have been built on top of each other to make it a better place to live. And now with technology, we see technology replacing the simplest acts that humans do and us losing touch of those, moving into a more specialized world where none of us, I shouldn't say none of us, all of us are moving in a very pointed direction on some things we do, but we have to trust in others to do so many other things. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's a part of the this in that money allows us to be able to have these exchanges and to, you know, only and to make it so we can take care of all of our lives while only serving a portion of it. Right. And so that the more dependent we get on other people, the more vulnerability we have there, the more we have to decide whether we're going to trust people or not or trust the situation or not. Mm -hmm. And money is one of the big, you know, the big human inventions that help us deal with that. Yeah. And, um, and like I was, uh, I've learned from permaculture teachers and, um, and one of the points that uh, a woman named Robin Francis in Australia, that she's like, no, I, I don't want to do all of these things. I want to make sure to have that guy over there make my honey. And I'm going to go and I'm going to do these things and I'm going to make these exchanges happen and I'm going to provide this value. And I'm, I'm happy and eager for the, the value that this other member of my community is making and contributing. And, um, and it's so beautiful. It's just exchanging value is beautiful. And I think that's uh, one of the points that I want to start to key into as we have these conversations. It's just, you know, one of the one of dad's tenets was is that more good is done through and with money every day in the world than, you know, nonprofit and gifting work could ever manage. Sure. All the little acts of kindness. Although sometimes it also ends up feeling, you know, we, it can feel hollow. And, um, and I think that's, an, that's something that we need to watch out for. And, and something I'm trying to keep an eye out for is ways that we can exchange value that represents our values. Yeah, that's right. If, if we lose sight of purpose, it gets very hollow. Yeah, it does. And if we don't have the belief behind the purpose, you know. So do you think that a planner can be a, can just get training into being a two or a 3.0 focused person? Or do you think that that's something that you can educate and share? Or is it just uh, folks who are inclined to explore in these areas are, are curious and, uh, and join these conversations? Yeah, I, I, I think you can really gain skill by reading, practicing, doing. But I think it, with all of us, it becomes who we want to be. You know, that, that soul-centering conversation we have with ourselves that says, who, who are we and what are we trying to do? And that's, that's what Dick was doing, was setting a higher standard, laying it out there, saying, you know, in his, his article about uh, CFP, he was saying, 
this is where we should be. I really believe in the little formula, Jake, of be, do, have. You know, if, if we figure out who we're going to be, it's going to dictate what we do. And which is going to dictate what we have, not the opposite way. So much of America has been, I want to have this, so I'm going to do this, and that'll make me be this. Mm-hmm. And that, that's reverse. That's the wrong way. No, the, 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 moral, the moral formula that works is be, do, have. So I think what the commitment is you know, we're all with our human frailties. We walk into, you know, a commitment saying, I, I, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this to the best of my ability. I'm going to be a fiduciary planner. I'm going to, I'm going to be doing, I'm, I'm going to be who they need. And by that, I'm going to be doing the right thing for them. And then I will have and then a we're successful. Have yes. That's a great formula. It really is. And it kind of starts to make, it, it's really not different than why, how, what. You know, that's in a more practical world, like with uh, Simon. Stenick. Talking yeah. about why, how, what. Really, why is the belief, it's the B. And um, the uh, how is the do. And the what is the have, you know, it's the, mm-hmm. they all kind of work. That, that's the way the universe works. <laughs> <laughs> Although a lot of times these things are keying into a little something slightly different. And, um, and so it's nice to put them side by side and see how they line up, but also keep in mind how they're different. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, one of the reasons why I like finology and like this money stuff is that it's all it's about studying the commonalities. You know, there's a Zig Ziglar quote that dad really liked, which was uh, money's not the most important thing in the world, but it is kind of up there with oxygen. (laughs) 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 Yeah, I don't go and like seek out oxygen for any, you know, my day or anything like that. But, you know, I sure notice if I don't have enough. You bet. And, and also I notice if I've got a little bit too much too, you know, get a little light in the head and decision making gets a little poor if you're a little, you know, hyperventilating or whatever. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. The, uh, the relationship between the breath and money is a pretty interesting thing. And, uh, yeah, Natalie's work is, uh, for those who are listening in vital financials and, and my sister, Natalie Wagner, she does some stuff around the breath and money that is just amazing. Absolutely amazing. So how do you bring the concept of two and 3.0 to your business and your practice? Well, you know, I think, uh, for me and, and all of us kind of have our, our own little, uh, insights or, or profound revelations that we've gone through that are that are ways we're trying to work. And I, you know, I, I think I love the, I, I just want, as a side note, I want to say I love the discussion of 3.0. I think all these things are labeled better at the end than at the beginning. And so we'll kind of see what this all, we're all on this journey of where, where are we going? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think we're, we're Alice in Wonderland walking down into nowhere, not knowing which direction to go, but we do have multiple directions to go. 
We do. It, it will be interesting to see where, where in the world we turn. Well, you know, if Dad always he liked to compare phonology to, um, I'll I'll just do his speech here from the top for folks, and um, if you have take make a a grid in the air just across, uh, and um, and then if you put in the upper left hand box there uh, psychology, which is about individuals, and then in the lower left hand box if you put sociology, which is about groups of people. And then in that lower right-hand box, you put economics, which is also about groups of people and their relationships with money. But that upper right-hand box, there's there's nothing that goes there yet, or at least not until uh, you have the word phonology as a part of your vocabulary. And, um, and then we can start to study about what it means to exchange value between individuals and what it means to exchange value. And... Um, that's pretty incredible. And so what I was going to say back to that point before was that psychology is a very new subject. That it was found and identified in the 1800s and you know and we all consider it a given today and there are hundreds and hundreds of different divisions and subdivisions of psychology as a general subject and the same is going to be true with phonology and so a part of what we're doing in these for especially in this first season of the what is phonology podcast is we're just starting to explore um see what's in the territory and see what resonates and and see like i try to make sure to identify when i know something is uh when i see phonology in action or when i identify a 3.0 moment or scenario i just try to make a note about that and uh and folks if if you do please email me and i would love to hear what what 3.0 and phonology moments you're seeing out there Mm. in the world very yeah Well, it's um, kind of the way, one of the ways I've explained it to myself mm-hmm. is, uh, you know, I, uh, I read the book, The Checklist Manifesto, and in there, uh, it's written by a surgeon. And uh, in there, he talks about there's really three kinds of problems in the world, simple, complicated, and complex. And he defines simple as... Um, a simple problem is one where there's just uh, an immediate answer. You you ask the question and there is an answer. And then, of course, this is oversimplifying things a little bit, but <laughs> we only yeah. have so much time that we're going to share with people today. So that's good. exactly. And uh, you know, a complicated problem takes you through a process, and. Uh, you're, you're working on it, and once you get through the process, every time you come to that problem, if you just work through that process, you get to the right answer. It has multiple steps. And the third kind of a problem is a complex problem, and that's a problem where there is no, no answer or no foreseeable answer that can be predetermined or by through a process other than working on each one individually and figuring out the new process for that individual complex problem, Mm. which is really the definition of relationships. It is how do we sit and help people work through problems that uh, are of their current mind, helping them understand their history 
their money history, their, their current condition, where they want to go, and helping them walk through that over a number of years. That's the change I see that's happened that, that's uh, financial planning 3.0. People used to hire us for answers, and we'd use one of the first two problem-solving situations, but those are gone. Most of the time, there aren't given answers. There's an answer for the individual, and we need to help them work through that and not get in the way. And ask the right questions and provide... You provide a container and space where people can uh, allow themselves to ask these harder questions and to make sure to, to spend the time on their finances and their future that they, you know, know they owe themselves, but it's hard to actually put those, put the, put in that time. definitely heard of planners where they feel like they, they like they've talked about clients who really like there's some conversations that happen in their office that don't happen other places and it's a uh, you know marriage is uh, you know they set some great rules for themselves and uh, give each other great feedback and and that the relationship is better for the time and and the work that they do with the planner and uh you know, that's why this is dad's right when he says that this is the most important profession in the 21st century. No, that, that's that's right, Jake. That's exactly where, where it is. And, you know, to say that there is a definitive right and wrong all the time, you know, is is where the crossover is. Uh, you know, I think <laughs> there was a time when we all could be extremely judgmental about where people were or what they wanted to do. But today we're not interested in judging them. We want to increase their curiosity and help them understand what all the possibilities might be, which are probably uh, a multitude of things over and above what we've thought of. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a part of why we need to be grateful and, and let those seeds do those things too. you know, put out the put out that opportunity because you with someone else get when someone else gets creative, they come up with a thing that you never could have. And uh, and that's pretty amazing. That's right. And in the process, there is a lot of dispersion of uh, feelings and attitudes and beliefs and we get them all out on the table and we iron some and some we throw away and some we tuck back in for later but we're constantly trying to reframe and re re-establish where they should go now and what they want to do and that is not mm -hmm. something you can do once and 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 sit back and let it percolate for 10 years it needs to be constantly drawn back out what's changed what's new what's good what's bad what are we indifferent about are you saying you can't just like set you know 30 year projections out in your you know planning software and you know some monte carlo and and then call it a day <laughs> yes that's yes that is what i'm saying <laughs> so if you're doing that guys i hope you can dig a little deeper well, it, it is fun <laughs> to you know show clients some projections out in the future and we tell them you know we're gonna we're gonna look at this thing every time you come in and we're gonna see if anything's changed and if something's changed 
we're going to talk about what it was. Was it you or was it somebody else? Was it, did we have it wrong in the first place or do we have it right now? Well, and also when you're talking about that, you know, we were just talking about, you know, more of that 1.0 software kind of things, uh, kind of stuff. But you guys also have a number of 2.0 tools that you use as well. Like, don't you use like Wheel of Life? And um, I mean, a first step is, is a different way of doing budgeting. But yeah, like, don't those, what are some of those tools and don't they help you get a better understanding of your client as well? Oh, absolutely. And they are bridges. They are bridges to infinity. I mean, First Step and uh, Wheel of Life and Satisfaction Survey or Kinder Questions are way to open up a conversation that's going to go on for a long time. Like I said, that that 30-year conversation has got to have some support. It's got to be built on something. And so it's challenging them to, it might even be money history. You know, tell mm-hmm. me about how you grew up with money and did your parents talk about money and when's the, what's the stupidest thing you ever done with money? Um, you know, I mean, there's just a lot of good things that can be brought up that's going to bridge you into a 3.0 position. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Agreed. That's, um, you know, that's why I'm such a lover of a cash management system, like, like your sister and, and you are too, mm-hmm. that it's. It's this conversation that brings us from our daily spending habits when psychologically what we're really doing is acting out our beliefs with money. Now, we may not want to recognize that, but really we honor all our beliefs every year by where we spend our money. Yeah. And that we also are... You know, no time like the present, right? And and so as we spend our money, the those things that is the, each one of them's a vote. We know that, but just recognizing that society is changing the way that it interacts because of these decisions, and that 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 to me is that three moment for sure. You know, recognizing how. You know, just I know details I, uh, um, from my co-working space here in Portland where, where we're very community capital centric. And, um, and Amy Pearl who runs my office says that a, a dollar spent in your local community can be worth like $11 in respect. You know, it's not just for the warm fuzzies. I mean, there's definitely some, you know, hard bottom line benefits to, to thinking about this stuff and doing it better. Oh, yeah. No, oh, absolutely. Yeah. And now we're, you know, we're going through another transformation as uh, credit cards disappear. You know, and some people are just getting used to their debit card and it's like, well, it's going. You're not going to, you know, you it's all going to be on the phone or it's going to be on, uh, yeah. you know, the watch or some other device or maybe embedded in our ear. I don't know. <laughs> it, it's It's becoming... Less and less, you know, the first languages that came out were they were naming things kind of by their shape or something, you know, or by the the, the sound came out trying to match up to the word that, that it was with. It was very tangible type relationship between what we named things uh, for words and what it actually was like a cow or a sheep or a horse. But things now are dividing up so much more. They're walking away from that. They have whole different meanings and uh, whole different ways the language is evolving. 
And as people... And it also, a lot of folks don't know Latin or some of those other languages quite as, you know, like I do have some friends who can just stick some prefixes and suffixes and a little bit of a verb in the middle and, you know, come up with a word like uh, phonology, yeah. for example. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> well, and it's, you know, as, as people now, you know, maybe lifespan is 100 or 110 or 120 or whatever it is. So we're living longer and things are changing faster. And so mm-hmm. just going back to that, that feeling of vulnerability uh, and dealing with the complexity is just becoming more and more magnet, magnified. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and also the the fellow at retreat who was talking to us about that also just, you know, decreased birth rate as well. Um, I thought that was a really interesting part of that topic. And, you know, basically, yeah, we're, you know, conscious conception is a big deal. And, um, you know, making sure that you can provide the create the basis for the best life for that baby possible out there you know sometimes you get given a gift or two but you know at the same time like being able to have a little bit more higher standards for how we take care of our children and um and that we are you know and uh and our infant mortality rate shows it as well yeah absolutely ron galloway was that guy's name so mm-hmm. i was thinking, wondering about it yeah so what else do you want to make sure that the audience knows here, Marty? Because uh, we've been talking for a good little while, and um, I've been loving this. I'm sure they are, too. Well, um, Jake, I, number one, I just think it's great you're sponsoring these conversations because it's really the way to keep things rolling. And I hope a lot of people uh, comment on it, what they, where it takes them, what they agree with, what they disagree with. Because it's uh, the the more we can kick it around and uh, get a dispersion of feelings and thoughts about it, the more we're going to settle in on that path that that really makes sense for the future. You know, it's really the diversity is our friend in the discussion. Yeah, it is, and it is, and that there is, and it is this complex problem that you've taught us about in this in this call. You know, we're going to see some things maybe break apart and come back together, and you know, hopefully, it's just concepts. But yeah, it's a we have a lot to discover in the next you know lifetime. It's um, you know what I've said in the past. Some of the guys here and, and and ladies here. You know, I, I kind of feel a little bit like, and, and I think your your dad probably felt the same way too. We feel a little bit like Moses. We've been uh, kind of leading a group for so many years, and now it's 67, kind of reaching a, a spot where we're going to say, take it over, group. Jake, your generation. And uh, the, the mm-hmm. G2s, G3s, G4s, G5s to come and say, see what you can do with it. Our generation kind of moved from 1.0 to 3.0, but by no means do we believe that's the end. I mean, there's lots of things in the new world that need to be discovered. And some of the the one real strong belief I hope everyone has is that everybody needs a third party to talk to about life and money. You know, and your, your dad was a big proponent of that. Um, I'm a big proponent of that. We need, and it's not going to happen with a computer, at least and not in the generations I can see. Uh, 
It is this human experience that we, where we need each other in community. And community can be three people sitting in a room in Denver, Colorado, um, talking about their life and money. Okay? Or it could be anywhere. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm trying to say. And uh, yep. when, if we all have that belief, understanding that is our purpose, that is our need, there will be multiple discoveries along this way on how do we have people have a better relationship with money. Because, the, you know, the other thing that, that I really want to have, uh, just state is this is all new. This is all new. My grandparents didn't have anybody and any money and neither did anybody they knew mm-hmm. <laughs> it was a world of scarcity yeah and now we're we're you know there are concerns we're using up resources but we live in an abundance and we want to keep it that way for generations to come how do we wisely do that yeah and how do we sustainably do it as well you know, and how do we sustainably do it? Absolutely. Yeah. For, for the planning center to be around for seven generations of, of helping people with financial advice, we're, we're going to also be taking care of the, you know, making sure to not damage the planet's ecology, maybe make exactly. it a little bit better. You know, that to me, that, that to me is definitely a part of being a fiduciary too. Just, uh, that's right. Not sure what level. No, we're all in it together. Exactly. And it's the best planet I've ever seen. So, yeah, exactly. At least for living on. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, one other quote that I know um, kind of pops up is, um, I'm trying to think of his name, Ray, uh, no, uh, Peter Block wrote a book called Community. And in there he says, kind of paraphrased by Marty, he says, advice kills conversation. And our job is to create curiosity. And curiosity about how can we do it better? Curiosity about how can we sustain this? Curiosity about how we can be happier? And curiosity about how can we help our fellow man? You know, that's, that is financial planning 3.0. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you've told me that in years past, and uh, thanks for telling me again. And, uh, it still blew my socks off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> oh. Well, with that, I, I think we should wrap up this conversation for today. This is this is a lot for folks to digest. I I know I'm going to be listening. I listened to all these things several times, and uh, oh. I, folks, I hope you do too because there's a whole lot of content in here. A lot of good, great stuff to learn. And um, Marty, thank you for coming on the show. I really appreciate that. Jake, I so appreciate the invite. And uh, I love what you're doing, man. Keep up the good work. You're doing the right thing. Oh, thanks for the support. I appreciate it. And uh, and same to everybody else out there and every, all the support you share with me and, and uh, my dad and these projects as well. And with that, folks, thank you for listening to this episode of the What is Phenology podcast. And uh, make sure to listen to the next episode. Mm-hmm.